Happy Friday and welcome back to another episode of Let's Chat Markets. We're going to do things a little different today because it's a new year and we're starting it off with $20 milk in both class three and class four markets for the first time in eight years here in the U.S. And that's worth digging into. Joining me today is High Ground's very own Vice President of Producer Services, Curtis Bosma. Curtis, for some of our newer listeners, tell us a little more about all the things you do here. Of course. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's always fun to talk about things from the producer side of the market, uh, especially when futures are trading at these historically high levels. For those of you that uh, don't know, I grew up on a dairy in central California. My family also uh, dairied in northwestern Illinois, about two hours west of Chicago. Um, so I'm always happy to see these opportunities for producers to, uh, to make a little money here in these markets. As Vice President of Producer Services here at High Ground, I oversee everything that we do uh, with dairy producers. Um, so at High Ground, we really set everything up so that we are a one-stop shop for all of your risk management needs. Um, the tools that we utilize with dairy producers fall under three separate categories. The first being insurance, so things like dairy revenue protection and LGM dairy. Uh, we're also a full-service futures and options brokerage firm. Um, and then lastly, we have over-the-counter or OTC solutions for people looking for something a little bit more customized to their specific needs. Um, we deliver all these programs to producers either directly um, or we do uh, some different cooperative sponsored programs as well. I often have a hard time describing what I do to people, uh, especially here in Chicago, uh, all these you know, city people that don't understand the, uh, the farm life and things like that. So I usually just tell them I'm a part-time economist, part-time data analyst and a full-time therapist, which I'm sure, Alyssa, you could also uh, agree with that in some senses as well. Oh, of course, especially with the volatility over the past couple of years. It's uh, a lot of phone conversations. So how should producers be looking at these markets in 2022, Curtis? Yeah, so 2022 is definitely an interesting year. We are currently in what I like to call a class four driven market which is something we've not really seen since 2013 and 2014. Um, we use the phrase a lot that uh, non-fat dry milk lifts all boats. Um, and certainly this year, we're seeing the effects of that. Typically, we've seen non-fat um, kind of ranging over the last few years uh, at some lower price levels, and we've really started to see things pick back up again. Um, and as we've kind of pushed to some new highs, I know today we broke over the $1.80 mark for CME spot non-fat. Some of those levels have uh, started to kind of affect the way that milk thro- flows throughout the country. So if you think of like class four plants in the Midwest and different regions like that, uh, they're typically utilized as balancing plants, whereas the class four plants on the West Coast and the Southwest um, are primarily run you know, either at or near their full capacity. So those balancing plants, when they're given the opportunity now with class four pricing over class three to you know, get a higher return, we start to see a little bit of milk uh, get diverted away from some of those class three plants, which kind of affects the overall market. So that's why we kind of say that, you know, non-fat and specifically class four uh, can lift all the other markets uh, up, you know, along with it. There is a little bit of argument you can make against that this year because, you know, we, with all the high cheese prices we saw from 2020, uh, the majority of new investments we saw in the milk processing side uh, were all focused on class three. Um, so it's unlikely that, you know, some of those plants um, that are like newer assets, whether it's an expansion or a new plant altogether, run at a reduced capacity. 
but overall, there's still, you know, incremental loads of milk uh, in the countryside that are going to get, you know, moved around when we start to see class four pricing at a premium uh, to class three. Um, in terms for producers uh, kind of taking a look at risk management for 2022, uh, I think there's a lot of people that are excited about the opportunities that are kind of, you know, lining up right now with some of these higher milk prices we're taking a look at. Uh, but a lot of them are less excited about the cost of, you know, getting coverage in some of those areas. So, you know, with tools like dairy revenue protection, uh, people are taking a look at the premiums daily and saying, hey, hey you know, what's going on here? And, and, and why are these things uh, so dang expensive? Yeah. And I'm about to ask the same question. Why are premiums for dairy revenue protection uh, more expensive right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's one we, we definitely get a lot. Um, so if you think of the way that the, uh, the dairy revenue protection or DRP premiums are calculated, it's very similar to how premium values are determined for options on futures contracts. So like, you know, puts and calls, um, DRP would essentially just be like a put option since it is, you know, uh, the same, you know, dynamic as a price floor. Um, the two biggest things that are, that are going to affect those premiums are time value and volatility. So typically the premiums for the stuff that's further into the future. So if we're looking at, you know, Q4 of uh, this year versus Q2, uh, the Q4 ones, because they have more time value are typically going to be more expensive. However, volatility being that second factor when things are moving around every day. And, you know, it's pretty common these last few weeks to see a 40, 50 cent move in, you know, the class three and the class four market with that volatility that also kind of brings up uh, the premiums on that because you know these markets are having to digest these moves every single day um, and they have to kind of correctly account for that. You know, another hot topic of conversation right now are our high input costs. Who's really feeling those higher costs the most? Does it vary by location of farm or is everyone kind of feeling the squeeze at the same time? So I would say everyone's definitely uh, feeling the squeeze right now, um, but there's certain regions that are probably feeling it more than others. Um, so, you know, your dairies in the Western U.S., uh, thinking, you know, like Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California, um, those regions have always paid a higher basis for things like corn and other feedstuffs that have to be, you know, put on a rail car and brought across the country. Um, and with all these uh, supply chain issues that continue to kind of linger in our economy right now, uh, we're seeing those basis levels continue to kind of stay at some, you know, very high levels. Uh, which has made people, you know, contracting feed uh, a pretty difficult challenge for this year. Um, but then also you, you kind of pile on top of that some of these recent uh, drought conditions we've seen in South America, which has brought a lot of strength specifically to the soybean market. But then that, you know, strength spills over into all the other commodities in the grain complex at the CME. Um, so that's really kind of, you know, pushed things up uh, quite a bit and made it difficult uh, for producers to take a look at their uh you know, input side on the, on the feed side. But the real question I think that a lot of people are, are starting to ask themselves is, uh, you know, is this income over feed cost number that we use a lot of times an actual, you know, good indication of on-farm profitability? Uh, because everything's gotten more expensive. It's, it's not just the feed cost anymore. That's been the primary um, thing that's been moving around. Um, typically, we kind of take a look at, you know, the income over feed cost number and we can, you know, determine whether or not the U.S. milking herd is going to be either expanding or contracting, you know, going a year or two out. And that's kind of on a biological cycle. That's all going to be based off of, you know, each farm's decisions with, you know, breeding cows and how they're going to be handling their on-farm management with cow flows. Um, but that's definitely changing because now you're seeing things like, you know, labor, fertilizer, everything that goes into the input side of a dairy farm 
um, has gotten more expensive. So as those things kind of start to affect the uh, the cash flow side of things, it definitely uh, has been affecting everybody. Yeah, that's such a great point. It's not just feed anymore that uh, producers are really concerned about. Um, and that's a global issue, that's for sure. Out of curiosity for our listeners, why and when did cows start dropping off here in the U.S.? Because I know that's had a huge impact on milk production turning negative in recent months. And I'm just curious where those input costs, did they have something to do with that? Absolutely. Um, You know, when costs rise and, you know, uh, whether it's on the feed side or on the operations side, uh, less cows start to pay their rent. Um, and that, that's a phrase we use quite a lot. And, you know, if, if you're a dairy farmer, you kind of understand these things, you know, you have the third or fourth lactation animals that are starting to kind of get up there in age and, uh, you know, guys start to take a look and say, Hey, you know, if, if we're not going to have great margins here, th- this cow's really not going to cut it for my herd. Um, and, you know, during 2021, we saw feed costs really take off. You know, we, we moved about $4 a hundred weight on average higher throughout 2021. Um, and you couple that with all the other increased costs, and it's definitely going to change the way people are uh, are kind of looking at, you know, keeping cows in the herd. Um, we saw, you know, we, we essentially peaked in May, and we have all the data from USDA reported through November. Um, and from May to November, we've lost um, 122,000 head of milk cows in the U.S., which if you take a look historically at, you know, periods where we've had about, you know, at least six months of a consistent herd decline, this is actually the fastest one we've had on record, um, but it is yet to kind of extend itself as far as we saw in like 2009, where in 2009, we had essentially 12 consecutive months of uh, herd contraction, which uh, got rid of about 250,000 cows in the U.S. milking herd. So we're, we're getting there. We're on that path. Um, you know, of course, in 2009, we didn't have uh, $20 milk in the summertime to kind of take a look at for uh, all those things. So it was a little bit of a different story versus what we're looking at now. Um, so we definitely think, I mean, the, those herd decline numbers are staggering, um, but there's, you know, with, with the potential if feed costs start to cool off a little bit and some of these supply chain issues start to get rattled loose, um, there's a potential that some of that comes back and we level off um, some of these herd numbers as well. Um, but there is some, you know, going to be some uh, obstacles to that as well. So if you think back to 2020, when we had all the uh, kind of extreme measures that had to get put in place to handle fluid milk throughout the country, there was a lot of uh, new kind of rules and restrictive base programs that were put together by, you know, co-ops and milk handlers to kind of manage and mitigate uh, excess supplies of milk. Um, so those things continue to kind of be a you know, barrier to entry for a lot of people. Um, These higher labor costs are, of course, going to be something that contributes to it. Um, And then just generally, if we're speaking on the macro sense of the economy, if if interest rates are going to go up and, you know, the cost of borrowing debt um, and a little bit of a longer term scale is more expensive, um, that takes away from people's ability to, you know, make significant investments in their business and things like that. So, you know, there is a potential that things start to level off here if if we do see some margins. But yeah, there's, there's definitely some barriers to that as well. Yeah, those are all really great points. And thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon, Curtis. I am sure our listeners learned quite a bit from you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
We hope everyone has a nice long weekend as Monday is a holiday here in the U.S. So CME markets will be closed. And then we'll kick off next week with a global dairy trade auction on Tuesday and our big monthly CME forecast report and webinar. To continue to learn more about these volatile markets and what our expectations are into the end of the year, sign up today for a free trial. You can head to our website, highgrounddairy.com and just click free trial and we'll get you set up over the weekend. Cheers. Thank you.